things that people point to in not only cricket but other sports that restricts their performance and something which often people can obsess over is pressure and how it affects them whether it be in a big game where there's a big crowd and people would crumble or, or start to falter under pressure but equally people put a lot of pressure on themselves when it's even in a training environment or in a game which seems to have less consequence so today i'm joined by Rich Hudson, who's the author of a book called Pressure Myths, and I've just said off-air to Rich um, that this book is something that I've found particularly useful myself. So uh, without using a pun here, no pressure on Rich to explain <laughs> that to us and, uh, and, and really tell people the benefit of what is there. So thank you for joining me, Rich. Um, absolute pleasure, Mark. Now, I'll give the listeners a little bit of a, a background. You've got... Um, Quite a, a varied CV, I suppose, in terms of you've got the sports psychology background as well as being a coach. And currently, relatively recently, you've taken on the role as managing director of Buckinghamshire Cricket. Am I right in, in that? Yeah, that's right. So I've for about eight years. So just uh, for the last six years, I've been sort of running the player pathway for Buckinghamshire Cricket and now taking on the role of managing director. So just looking at and all things from player pathway still, but uh, participation, growth, and and, and um, how we grow the game. But whilst I, I've been going through that, um, I'm from a sports psychology background, so I've sort of been practising in sports psychology. Uh, through that time, I work a lot with, with North Ants cricket on a more consultancy basis, and a few other sort of individuals and organisations alongside that. So, yeah, it's quite varied. But I think, from my perspective, um, someone coming into the game uh, full-time a number of years ago, it was about my USP in terms of being a coach, but also having a psychology background and how they would work together. And it's just kind of naturally evolved over time and and roles have sort of um, just come together. So it sort of looks a lot, but it has been just quite organic in that. That's my strength. So I haven't got the 10,000 first class run. Yeah, well, it's interesting that you uh, that you you say that, Rich, in terms of the your background in in psychology, then informing and guiding what you do in in your coaching practice, and then in the leadership role within Bucks Cricket and what you've done with Northampton. And I found that a lot of the time, people may not assign the the, the title psychology or mental skills or, or what have you to their practice, but most of what we do as coaches or or teachers is around getting people to understand something in their head to then move it forward in terms of what they do physically. So how would you say people can go around, go about, sorry, having more of um, more confidence in perhaps being able to say what they are, what they're coaching is to do with mental skills and, and psychology? Because there is still some resistance to that from perhaps the old school in saying, oh, well, you know, it's not about that. It, it's more about your physical technique. How would we be able to convince people that we should be paying attention to those uh, mental sides of things? Well, I think the tactical side is perhaps, and the psychological side are often sort of merged into one. And and you know, we talk a lot about decision making, and obviously that is the psychology and the tactical. That's probably where they link. Is how do people make decisions and you you see that coming through more and more in modern coaching it's not necessarily about who's got the best technique but who makes the best decisions and then they you know they talk about who makes the best decisions under pressure now we might get onto why that can be a bit of a um 
might not be the most helpful way of putting it, but actually who makes the best decisions consistently over a period of, you know, a period of time uh, in the, under a range of scenarios and who's able to sort of make those decisions from a clear mind uh, and a clear perspective, that's going to be massively important. And I think, you know, I think enough time has passed where people realise that this is not a game of who's got the best biomechanical actions. It's it's a range of things, and the, and the physical conditioning is one of them. Understanding yourself as a person and your psychological experience, I think, is a massive one. And, and then understanding the game and, and the, the tactics that are involved and how you adapt and how you find a way. They, they're all equally as important. And I think if you're, you're not looking at one of them, and somebody else is, and they're going to be going past you because there is enough information out there and enough good quality coaching now that that's going to support that, in my opinion. Okay, yeah. Now, that touches on something that I found has been something I, I found very difficult to to move away from in a, in a good way. I've become quite fixated on this idea that people spend so much time on things that are purely physical. And like you say, whether it's refining the biomechanics of something or practising grooving a particular shot so that it looks really good when there's so much that can be done which maybe isn't as immediately visible which is just as easy or or hard depending on how developed the skill is to train in terms of the, the mental side of it so i suppose if someone was to pick up and hopefully they do a copy of of your book following this they would be approaching it with the ambition of being able to to, to train or work on some of their mental skills, which are available to do just as much as someone can get some throwdowns to work on particular shots. And that brings me to the the idea of the concept of the book. And the title certainly grabbed my attention when I first came across it, this idea of the myths of pressure. And like I said in the intro, everyone has an interaction with pressure and we seem to see it as this looming presence on the field or in the office or wherever it is that it's inescapable and it's going to dominate us and people have this this real uh, interaction with it which tends to be for the most part either negative where people would say their response to it defines them and they were thinking that they failed because they bottled and all these terms or we get a little bit hung up on players who seem to in quotes thrive under the, the under pressure what have you identified over your your research and, and study that are those myths around pressure? Yeah, well, I think the big thing is, is when we use the word, we use it to describe different things. And therefore, when we start using it with players, it becomes very messy very quickly. So we use the word pressure to describe how difficult something is. So if we increase the challenge of a task, we say we're increasing the pressure or we use it to describe how big a game is. So we say, well, the World Cup's high, World Cup finals, high pressure game, because we think that that's an important thing. So therefore, we think there's pressure. Or we use it to describe expectations, those that we have about ourselves, or those that others have of us. And we say, he's putting me under pressure, or I'm putting myself under pressure. So all of a sudden, uh, we are using the same one word to describe four or five very different things, and. I think that in the first instance is just confusing, you know, to actually say what you mean. So I was sat with um, a first class academy director earlier this week and he, we were talking about psychological profiling. We're going to be dealing with players. And he was saying, uh, I want to see what lads are like, um, what ha- when the pace is increased. So we really challenged them with pace. And when the pressure's increased, 
And I said, what do you mean by pressure then? And he said, well, to be honest, what I mean is the first thing I said, where the pace increases. So it's a word that we just throw around. And actually, we should kind of understand it, because actually, if we understand it, then it's not as big a problem um, as it can seem when we just start when we just hear it loads of times and then start to experience anxiety and then start to perhaps connect the wrong dots. Yeah. Okay. Now I think that that's a really good way of putting it to, to think of all the different meanings of it. And language has such an important factor uh, in these kinds of discussions from, from thinking about this just before we, we had our, uh, we had our conversation I was trying to define what I think pressure would be in in sport or in in another line of work or whatever people do, which in, seems to involve this this idea. And I came to the, the the conclusion that it tends to be highlighted much more when it's a, a high stakes game or circumstance where there's consequences which are seemed to be defining um, in either someone's that particular part of their career or even perhaps their, their career as a whole. If someone's listening and thinking, yeah, okay, it's all good and well saying that we, we apply the term pressure a little bit um, liberally and we may mm. skew the meaning, what is there that people can do in terms of preparing so that when they're in the situations where there's significant consequences, a, a, a cup final, a career-defining moment or something at least that they perceive to be career-defining, what do they do to then move this concept of pressure to the fringes so they can just concentrate on enacting what they need to do in the game? So the first thing would be I don't prescribe anything to do because doing creates more thinking and thinking is the problem in the first place, not thinking per se, but having a, you know, when your head is jammed full of sort of noise and, and loads of doubt and it's just a really heavy place to be, then that is what is creating the feeling of pressure, not the game. And therefore, if we're trying to do something, all we're going to do is create more of that thought. So actually, we don't, there may be things that make sense to each individual to do, and that would be fine. But actually, from my perspective, what I want them to do is understand it. So I want them to understand that pressure isn't coming from the the game, isn't coming from uh you know, whether it defines your career or not. It's coming from the thinking you have in that moment that looks real to you. And if we understand that, then we're like we're less likely to add more fuel to the fire. That we understand that thought is what creates the feeling of pressure. Games of cricket or anything else in life cannot. It just looks that way. It looks like everything outside of me is creating my uh, feelings about it, but actually it doesn't. Because if you put 11 cricketers in a World Cup final, they're not all experiencing pressure. And the reason is, is they've all got different, a different psychological experience of it at that moment, a different thought-created perception of it. And I don't believe that one is wrong and one is right. I think it's constantly in flux, the way you feel about things and the way you think about things. And I think that's perfectly natural. It's meant to be a transient experience. So it's okay to feel pressure. But it's not coming from the game, and it's okay to have a perfectly clear head, and that's not coming from anything you've done either, because that is equally a, th- a thought-created um, experience at the, at the time. So my f- focus would be on understand where it's coming from. Is it from the inside out or the outside in? And the more you kind of understand that, then the more you'll do things that are perhaps more common sense and just 
and just helpful for you. But what you can do, I'd say, is much more individual. What you can understand is is universal. So my exp- experience is created the same way yours is. You know, it is through thought. But what we think and what we do is different, and that's that's fine. That's that's what it is to be human. I think. Right. Okay. You've touched on going to ask next in 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 terms of the idea of the the nature of thought we pick up lots of things across the internet or or whatever people choose to read about how many thoughts go through our head during the day what the origin of them is and and the importance of whether we act on a thought and whether we see that thought as being the truth or just what it actually is is something that is temporarily in our head and will will pass just as much as the um the physical surroundings doing you mentioned something that i was really persuaded by in your article on the opening up website in that we can tell thought is is transient and and so on because if you were to ask yourself what were you thinking of this time yesterday well you wouldn't really be able to remember because things pass and things go round and round just explain for me a little bit more about the nature of thought and how if we understand that it can help us to be that bit more clear-headed perhaps in these situations absolutely well just to sort of take us back a step so you know i've gone through a psychology um degree and a sports psychology masters and and working in sports psychology sort of accreditation programs and everyone talks about thinking but no one tells you well what's that stuff made of and and why is that you know, why not do we not go back to its origins? So we talk about why there might be helpful thinking or unhelpful thinking. But actually, what is a thought? Because if we're going to spend our time talking about it, let's, let's actually understand it. So, you know, and, and through that exploration, um, you know, it seemed to me that, that thought is, is just transient energy. It's just passing through. And some of it looks so real to us that we hold on to it and keep thinking about it or create a belief out of it but in the first instance it was just transient energy passing through and there's nothing that you think that will ever be true or ever be real it will feel real and it will look true but a thought in itself cannot be one so if you have a thought saying um that you're you're gonna um say you're a football player you're about to step up to take a penalty and you have a thought that says you're going to miss this and it comes back you're going to miss this you're going to miss this you're going to miss this you can still kick the ball in the goal it just looks like you can't the thought gives you a skewed perception but it's not reality it's just transient energy that you're experiencing and you know there's a whole thing in psychology about you know certain thoughts we have to think certain thoughts and my perspective be it when you look at the nature of thought, I'd say, well, some are preferable than others, for, you know, in my opinion. But actually, then none of them are real. None of them are fundamentally true. Um, and you see that all the time. And we and we we know that because as one of the um, examples that I use in the book is, you know, you could be at the top of a cliff and you have the thought jump and you sort of laugh it off and you ignore it. But somebody who has the thought jump and believes it well they're off the edge of the cliff you know in the next movement so so there are thoughts that we instinctively know just aren't true and we don't react to them but other people do react to them because they look true and so the nature of thought for me is it's transient it's illusory it's you know it's not real it's energy 
um, is what gives us the opportunity to experience anything in, in a range of ups and downs. Um, but we don't have to, um, we don't have to listen to it. We don't have to believe it. And in fact, I think the most relaxed people are those that believe the least of what they think. So they don't hold on to many beliefs and they don't believe that the world has to work a certain way um, because then they're not grasping at every transient energy, that, piece of energy that passes through their mind and trying to make something of, of what is essentially nothing and simultaneously everything because your whole experience is thought created. You know, you have no experience outside of what you think. Um, but that doesn't mean that... Um, you know, in terms of you, your perceptions, that you have to believe every perception, that you have to believe just because you think it's going to go well, it will. You know, we've all gone to a, we've all gone out in the evening and think, oh, I really don't want to do this. It's going to be a complete waste of time. And then you come back and you go, oh, God, that was really good. That I really enjoyed that. And that just tells you that you don't have to believe what you think because it's just not always true. Sure. Yeah. With that, the the ideas around around this and 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 perhaps the well-being and and then moving forward to, to to performance as well really are focused around people's understanding of of themselves and from what you've said there about the nature of thought people who are able to make the distinction between what is a thought and then what their actions are going to be um, and, the, and the people who are more relaxed and, and able to to apply these things seem to be the, the ones who d- deal with this in a in a better way it what would you what would you say in terms of people being a looking at trying to understand themselves better um it, where we've got in in sport the, the example that i've given a lot recently to clubs that i've i've worked with has been well the, one of the reasons why alistair cook was such a successful test match player was he really clearly understood his game and he wasn't trying to play like ab de villiers or chris gale he was mm. i've got this this technique, I work hard on these things and I know where my strengths and my limitations are. And I would imagine with that, someone like uh, Alistair would be would be very aware of, of certain thoughts and, and what he needs to act on and, and what he doesn't. What would the, the first steps be for someone who's wanting to understand themselves better to get to the root of why they do things and to get themselves to thrive and prosper more? So I guess there's a, there's a few things and I'd... Completely agree with your point. It's about understanding yourself and how you're going to be effective, and, and knowing your strengths and limitations. And I use the Alistair Cook example all the time. I wouldn't tell anyone else to be like Alistair Cook, but just to use that as an example of of that, it doesn't have to. We don't have to fit a model. We have to find the best way for for us to do it, and that path may not be the one we envisage. Um, and then the other one would be just to be careful about trying to do that and making an effort to do that and and searching for answers in that because that trying that doing that searching is going to only create more thinking and that is only going to make things harder generally so just just kind of know that that's true and go on a more effortless search where you're just trying to be aware of of it as opposed to trying to find it so that's just a softer approach and not so much of a need it's just more of an exploration i think that's massively important yeah okay and would you would you agree um not to load the question that a a good way perhaps of of doing that yeah there is this idea yeah that people have to discover 
their true self and then you load quite a lot of of meaning on that and then if people don't discover that in a certain amount of time they, they think they've failed so if someone is approaching it in a in a in a reflective way and they're looking to to quietly observe perhaps patterns of things that, that work and what they seem to to think of themselves a lot of the time i would advocate to people the the idea of of journaling and and, and keeping a reflective account of what goes on does that fit in with, with your perspective uh it neither does or doesn't as I say i wouldn't tell people uh, you know for, for me it's about doing what makes sense to you based on your understanding so if that makes sense to, to an individual then yeah you know uh, they should crack on really i think for me i'm i'm trying to just explain how things look like they work to me and then allow individuals to make decisions so you know there's plenty of people like that who sort of um supplying potential strategies and i kind of think well actually um i don't want to do that because um not that strategies are a bad thing but that i i'm just going to try and point as deep to the what i see as fundamental and then they're going to be able to make some good decisions out of that and they're going to experience people that might suggest ways of of utilizing that but for me it's actually just just only about understanding if you understand something you'll instinctively and automatically make better decisions so if you understand your own game and you you might say well how do you understand your own game well that's that's the more complex one because how do we understand anything well learning takes place and how does learning take place it's kind of through an insight so you you see something differently in a way that you didn't before um and that may take a number of times and, and repetitions of a skill or hearing something about the mind or um, playing a game. But I'd say that learning is more likely to take place when you've got less on your mind rather than more. So actually, if it looks one way or another, then don't overthink it. Just allow things to fall off of your mind and kind of be more present in the moment you've got better chance of understanding yourself intuitively and therefore your decisions will reflect it. Super. Yeah. And my next, my next question was, was, was around this, this idea. I was, I'm I'm thinking of the ways in which either, either individuals, and I suppose we've, we focus there quite a lot on, on the individual because of course that's who, who it does come back to and what they can do to, to, to understand themselves and make those kind of, um, steps now when i look at this from perhaps a group perspective or if there's a coach listening or a leader within a club or or group how can that be something which is embedded in uh, a culture so i completely understand that the idea of saying everyone needs to go away and meditate or everyone needs to keep a journal is one size fits all and, and isn't necessarily appropriate but how can these themes be embedded into what a coach might do on a day-to-day or week-to-week basis yeah i mean that's that's the million dollar question um and i think if i'd cracked that i'd have <laughs> the book would be on that but i think what's key for me is it's about looking inside and actually looking at the nature of your experience and the nature of who you are and and some of the beliefs that you have about yourself or the gain that that you know, are worth exploring and are they actually true? And so the, for me, the more you look within and go inside and and explore that, it naturally has an impact outside about some of the ideas that then come to you or the ways that you want to implement it. So for me, it's 
this is the hardest thing because we're we're societally sort of conditioned to be looking outside all the time. How do I do something? What impact will it have? Um, you know, what's the next strategy? And there's loads of good value in that. But what I'm trying to point to is actually it's uh, effortless, but it's uh, counterintuitive to what we've been taught that just go within you and understand yourself better understand the nature of your experience better understand you know what some of the characteristics that you might already have that you you think you don't so i would say i think you're more confident more resilient more motivated than you think you are um because as a child you had all those things and yet you know that you might not so much now well why what is the thinking and the beliefs that you've picked up that have actually taken those natural uh, characteristics away from you so and then the more you understand that then the more you just show up in the world a little bit differently so it's not fundamentally you know here's the perfect strategy but i think if anyone had that we'd all be doing it but what i can try and point people to is go back within and explore yourself and your experience okay would it be fair to say uh in, in regards to this, that we get, yes, yeah, some, some fairly regimented ideas about what a process is towards achievement and you'll get particularly, I mean, you tend to get this from backgrounds in, in coaching and sport, which can be fairly, fairly macho in their approach in saying, well, this needs to be followed. And if this happens, then the success at the end will be, will be almost guaranteed, which of course it, this sound like nonsense even just saying that out loud but there would still be within the the, the ideas that, that that you've been basing your your work around a, a a process that's there but it will be something which is much more organic rather than you're looking at s- specific steps to go along would that be fair yeah exactly and there's probably no per- yeah perfect process the, the the steps that i would you know and point to is just you know just really pick up is where is your experience coming from is it coming from the outside in or is it coming from the inside out all right so if you're driving in traffic and one day um, someone cuts you up on the road and you get really annoyed and the next day you get cut up on the road and it doesn't really bother you well then it wasn't your experience wasn't coming from the person cutting up on your road it was coming from within and you just start to notice things like that the things where you thought that the world was creating your experience and you start to see that it's not you know i still miss it all the time because i think that's part of being human but i think it just creates shifts where all of a sudden you go ah so world cup finals can't create pressure because pressure is a feeling and feelings come uh, come from the fluctuations of thought and that's it and I don't really have to do particularly much of my thinking because the nature of thinking is for it to change and it's transient and don't have to believe it. So then that creates shifts. Um, and then, so once you kind of understand inside out and you, uh, and you start to get a grasp that thought might not be as serious or a bigger problem as, as we might have believed it to be. And then I'd start to say, then you should start to look at, the fundamental nature of you so you know in cricket we could say you know what was it like when you started playing cricket when you fell in love with the game what are some of the characteristics that you had at the time what were some of the experiences that you had and actually was that not the the what we're looking for in the game that feeling of connection with the game that expression of ourselves that sense of enjoyment and how can we perhaps take that state of mind and that way of operating into 
in the higher demands of you know high levels of cricket professional cricket international cricket yeah and i think we get a lot of conversations around again even if people aren't explicitly referring to the psychology or the mentality of the game a common phrase would be that as people as players get older they carry more baggage with them and i was talking to a to a guy i remember this conversation from years ago where his son was playing and he was hitting the ball to all corners of the ground, constructing this beautiful innings. And his dad, who was a fine player as well, was was saying, uh, oh, this is brilliant. I'm just concerned that in years to come, he's going to be like me and he's going to have all this baggage of all the times that he's got out and the problems on different grounds and different bowlers. And I didn't have an answer to it, and perhaps there isn't an answer to it, but I was just thinking there, well, surely he could find a way to approach each innings that follows this one in the same way that he's approached the one where it just looked so good and he's actually just enjoying it. With your experience of working with players of, of, of whether they're at the professional level or whether they're on that pathway towards it, are there any common habits that players employ to be able to help them cast away that baggage and the perhaps negative past experiences to just focus on the presence of what they're doing at that time well i'd always say that you're naturally present and you're naturally in psychologically in a good place but for the thinking that you're taking seriously or believing to be real in that moment so you already have what you need but sometimes there's a thought or belief or a you know a collection of thinking that's it's just in in the way and we don't see it and the thinking that's getting in, that gets in the way the most is the idea that I am defined by my performances, that I am a cricketer, that um, I need to get to you know a hundred, I need to get a contract, and anything where we define ourselves by what we do will create a whole uh, spread of thinking like that, where we start to drag the past up because we start to believe that the past defines us, and therefore. We, that's when we start dragging that baggage around because we believe that my performances define me and therefore each performance has relevance even after it's been played. And so I'll keep dragging it back up through the power of thought into the present moment. If you kind of see that you're not defined by your performances, you're not de- defined by your occupation, and fundamentally, <laughs> in the deepest possible way, you're not defined by anything that happens then you stop dragging the past up and you stop taking the past around with you and you live in the present moment naturally and automatically more, just like you did when you fell in love with the game at six, seven, eight, nine years old. So you already know how to do it. It's just that you've picked up the thought, something along the lines of I'm defined by this, and then that load of other thinking gets dragged along with it. Yes, and and I can see the the, the merit in, in this aspect of us not being so obsessed with the labels that get applied that we perhaps apply to ourselves as as well as others in terms of yeah someone is a good player or someone's not a good player or that aspect even within your your day job where people might think well say they're a solicitor and they get something wrong that day and then they would be thinking I'm a bad solicitor therefore it can lead to thoughts of thinking, well, I'm a bad person because if a solicitor or a teacher or a coach is all you are, then if you do well or not in that, then that will have the repercussions throughout the rest of your life. Now, in terms of the, the final little bit I want to, to talk about, 
all of this stuff, I'm, I, I think there's there's so many pathways people can take with it, and and I think that's the beauty of the of not only the book but the way you you come at this, so that people can say, well, actually, I can take a little bit of this and, and take it that way, and someone else could do it in in another way, in a team environment, which of course is the beauty of, of playing sports like cricket. There'll be eleven guys, a bigger squad, perhaps we're talking fifteen, eighteen, more so if we're a professional game. And um, what would you say is the most important element of of teamwork in terms of not only performance but perhaps the support in general? What is it that we have as teams that makes it so powerful for the individuals that are there? Connection. So connection is the fundamental. There's a fundamental part of, of who we are and what we are. Um, and you can take that as deep as you want to into, you know, what are we at a fundamental level and who are we and, and consciousness and things like those. But, but and that can be really helpful. But for most players, when you walk into the room, they get that, that I will do more for you if I feel connected to you. And you will do more for me if you feel connected to me. And therefore, as coaches, we want to try and foster that sense of connection and realise that it's already there. And sometimes it's not a case of trying to do it. So, you know, you see teams going off, you know, on army adventures and training camps and and nothing against that. But um, you don't necessarily need that. You don't have to, you know, connection is a fundamental and sometimes it's, it's taking things away rather than trying to add things in. But if the more connected people feel, the more um, sort of magic they can create. Um, and therefore, you know, that's what we're searching for, for that. We're always searching for that connection. That's why we play sport, whether it's a connection to other people, but also a connection to the moment, you know, that, that moment where, you strike the ball and it just comes sweetly out of the middle and you're just perfectly connected to that moment that's what we're searching that's why we play sport and then but also all those winning moments you know where someone takes a great diving catch and you feel as pleased for them and delighted for them as you would be if you did anything and that sense of connection with them in that moment to what they did and that's what we're searching for and that's what we need to foster and if we if we foster connection then kind of results will start to look take care of themselves and this is something from people who observe team sports from the outside who've not had the interaction with it like we have they sometimes struggle to understand why it is that people would give up so much time to play a game of cricket or so much time training in football or or rugby and that connectivity is so important and from our perspective with opening up cricket looking at the, the whole whole continuum of mental health this connection like you've mentioned is is really crucial in helping teams achieve and to to thrive but also if you're in that connected environment and you've got people that you you develop trust with and you have this bond and kinship then if you are struggling they're the kind of people who you're more likely to be able to to, to share that with than of course just the strangers that are outside of the group so t- to finish if we've got, if we have someone, uh, either ourselves or someone close to us, who is in a particular time of their life where they they are struggling, whether this is with a something we'd have as a diagnosed disorder or just in a in a slump, in a in a rut or what have you, and they're finding it it, it perhaps difficult to break away from the, the the negative thoughts that they might have. Is there anything there that you would point towards? 
to help them on the, the, the path towards in, improving their feeling? I think the first thing is to love them and to love them unconditionally. So not just to love them when they're doing well, but to love them equally when they're they're struggling. And so then, you know, the first, we're looking for that connection as human beings. We're looking for love um, because they're fundamental parts of who we are. And sometimes we get blocked from them within our own thinking. Like you say, with someone experiencing a lot of negative thinking, they're not going to be experiencing uh, particular feelings of love. So for them to see that that love is always available is a, is a, is an absolutely crucial thing. And when you love someone, then you'll, you'll make decisions, you know, from a good place, I think. Um, and you're probably going to listen to them. So if you love someone, they might not be ready to talk, but you, they know you're there. And then when they're ready, if you can listen, then that's going to be helpful. Um, and so they will be where I'd start. And then at some point, I'd want to try and point them to, you know, where they feel their experience is coming from and where they feel, you know, around who they are and, and how they might have picked up some beliefs around, you know, I am this type of person um and why that might not be true but yeah, i think it's dangerous and i've made the mistake in the past to go in there and try and teach well actually i think the first thing to do is to love and to listen and, and kind of make natural instinctive choices from there excellent and that of course is something that we we can all do there may be times in people's lives where they they just know from their instinct that there's something not quite right with a, a friend or, or a teammate, someone close to them, but maybe get put off by a thought that they won't be able to understand or to deal with it, when in actual fact the idea is that you are just there for someone, and which is something we're, we're all capable of. Rich, it's been a real pleasure speaking. I think this has been a belter. There's so much stuff that people can take away and listen to. So I'd like to... Thank you again for joining me and wish you the best of luck with everything going on in the build-up to 2019 season. Brilliant, Mark. Really appreciate it, mate. Thank you.